Father, we thank you so much uh, for this morning again, and we just ask now, God, as we open your word and as we look at uh, this topic, um, this theme that we're going through this month of serving, uh, Lord, I pray that you would guide us in our thoughts and you would guide us in our heart. Uh, I believe so much of what we do or don't do is determined on where and what the condition of our heart is. So, Father, this morning, I pray as we kind of touch on something that may, that may cause us to reflect or may cause us to be challenged or stirred, uh, we pray, Lord, that, that would, it would be done by you and that we would be open to it and that we would embrace it and that we would ask that, we ask now, God, that you would do a work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we're starting a new theme uh, for the month of October. And I'm really excited about this. Uh, we did this last year. Last year, we've looked at a little bit more as how we can serve within the church. And, and one of the, the greatest things any pastor will ever tell you is that when you preach a sermon, if there's a response, uh, it is the greatest compliment someone can, uh, can receive. Because what we saw last year after we did this theme, we had you guys all fill out forms and asking whether or not you were willing to serve. And a lot of you volunteered, and I know that uh, there were some ministries that literally said, you know, hey, we have this abundance of people right now that are willing to help out, and it was like this pressure is off. And one of the burdens that we sometimes put on our, our volunteers, especially the ones that are leading a ministry, is that they also are responsible for constantly finding volunteers. And, and when there's a church this size and we're scrambling to find volunteers, it, it doesn't feel right. And so we were really excited last year when so many of you responded, and I'm trusting and praying that in the same way you will respond again this year, not only to continuing to serve within this building and on Sundays and Wednesdays and whatever times and youth ministries and all those different things that we're involved in, but that your heart would also be broken and stirred to serve in our community. And I will be honest with you right off the bat, I'm going to have a hard time not being emotional this morning. Because God has stirred my heart for this community. And it has brought me into a lot of conversations in a lot of places. And one of the things that I think I've shared here before is years ago, um, as an associate pastor of this church, it would trouble me sometimes when I would hear, you know, oh, our, would this church be missed if, you know, if we closed our doors? Would our community miss this church? And my thought always was, well, if it's not, then we should do something about it. And uh, I believe right now that if Leamington, if Deer Run Church were to close their doors, that the community of Leamington would feel a loss, simply because there is so much that we are involved in. And so I want to challenge us today to open our hearts to the question of how can we serve in an area outside of this building, because there is a community here that is in need of um, our work and the work that we do in our love. Deer Run Church is strategically located outside of the community. Uh, that's what was done back in the day. You build churches in the country. But the beautiful thing is we're no longer in the country. We, we are slowly going to be right in, the, you know, in Leamington. But we live in this community that is an amazing community. I love Leamington, and I love, you know, what it all offers. And I know some of you come from different parts, you know, don't necessarily come from the town of Leamington. But this is an amazing community. But I'll tell you right now that this community is also in a crisis mode right now. There are people in our community, we have one of the highest rates of mental illness in Leamington. We have one of the highest rates of joblessness. 
We have all kinds of negative things that are happening in the community of Leamington, but hear me, I am not bashing this community. I love this community. But if we are going to close our eyes to the needs that are among us, we will think everything is good. And so what I want to speak to us today on is embracing this tension, embracing the tension of doing a work within the community. What the church cannot do is only focus on the needs that are inside. We as followers of Jesus must do for others what Jesus was willing to do for us. It was Jesus who said that, we, that what we do for the least of these or what we don't do for the least of these, we have done or we have not done for him. And so when we see someone in our community or we see someone at our workplace or we see someone in our school and we would consider them to be kind of a least of these, this is the unpopular person, this is the one that everyone else has kind of already skipped over and said don't bother because they're a pain in the butt, Jesus would say, well, guess what? I'm probably that pain in the butt. And when you serve that person, and when you love that person, when you care for that person, Jesus is saying, you are doing it for me. And when you walk right past that person like they don't exist, Jesus is saying, you're walking right past me like I don't exist. And so this is the challenge. And this morning, we will come across maybe a little bit heavy, and I, and I know you're ready for it because we've just had, you know, a theme before us last month that was kind of lighter, and now we're going to focus on some things that are a little bit heavier. But I want us today to ask God to break in our hearts a, a, a compassion for this community. This compassion also brought Jesus into some sticky situations. Jesus was always involved in the lives of people. He, he never just, you know, ignored people. And sometimes he would leave people behind because he needed to go rest. But Jesus was very, very much involved in the lives of people. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And some of your translations may not actually have this in there because it's one of those we're not sure where exactly it fits. And so some translations have just not added it at all. I'm going to be reading from the NIV and it's in there. And so John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 2. And this story, I think, again, is, is pretty common to us. But I want you to see in this story the compassion of Jesus. Jesus, his whole life was filled with compassion. We see over and over how he had a compassion for those who he came in contact with. And his compassion for people moved Jesus to heal. It moved him to touch, it moved him to interact with those who were often seen as outcasts and outsiders. And in John chapter 8, we see Jesus brought into this really sticky situation. So let's read it and then let's dive into it and see what the lesson is in there for us. John chapter 8, we'll start in verse 2. It says this, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. Now, very early on, we get a sense that there is gonna be some tension here. We get a sense that something is about to happen and, and women, unfortunately, at this time were very restricted. They were not allowed. They were sadly mistreated. Um, they were treated very unfairly and their testimony really had no weight. And so what you see here is this woman kind of brought before Jesus and, and because she's a woman, it would have immediately already stirred up a lot of thoughts in the minds of the people who were listening. And so here they had this idea, we will bring Jesus this situation. And we'll see what he does with it. Now, women at this time, like I said, were often very, very restricted. They weren't even allowed inside parts of the temple. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they were responsible for dealing with this kind of a breach of the law. 
They were the ones that were responsible for, you know, making sure that if people broke the law that they were exposed. And, and so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they really were not moved by compassion. They were moved by the letter of the law. And what they saw is this is what the law says and this is what the commands are. And so never mind what may be happening. And they just were focused on obeying the letter of the law. But immediately you also sense that there's something highly suspicious about the situation. For example, adultery is not something that one individual does by themselves. So clearly there was another individual involved. And so the question is, if she was caught red-handed, how was her other guilty party member allowed to escape? Or why was he not brought also before, the, before Jesus? Was he maybe more agile? Was he able to escape and leave her there? Was there even an attempt to try to capture him? Or was it simply that she was a woman... And because she was a woman, they brought her, not him, before Jesus. The impression we get very early on is that this, the accusers were probably more concerned, you know, about trapping Jesus than about justice. They probably were far less concerned about, you know, justice in this situation than they were about bringing this situation before Jesus in order to trap him. Let's continue reading verse 4. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this situation to trap in, to tra as a trap in order to have a basis for ac uh, accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground, on the ground with his fingers. The law of Moses was pretty unambiguous. It was pretty clear-cut. There wasn't a lot of debate around, you know, um, these kind of topics. It was pretty clear what you were supposed to do. And so they saw this as the perfect opportunity to corner Jesus to see whether he would rule against the law of Moses, which I think they kind of suspected that he would. And so if, he would, if Jesus would now choose to, to, you know, abolish the law of Moses or say, don't worry about the law of Moses, this would be their way now of bringing this before the people and saying, he doesn't even follow the law of Moses, and Jesus' popularity would have been affected. The question is asked to create a dilemma for Jesus. If he answers one way, he loses popularity. If he answers another way, he could be uh, charged with sedition before the Roman governor. Um, and so this was the perfect thing for them. They're like, we can finally trap him. If he, if he says this way, then he's guilty of this. If he says this, he's guilty of this. And so they try to trap Jesus with this carefully calculated question. And I'm sure some of us in this room have had those moments in our lives where someone is asking you a question and they're trying to trap you. And I know that in my years of, in ministry, this has happened a number of times where people will come and they'll ask me very specific questions. And I remember once being at an event where there's a lot of people there and, and they were all from different churches and someone stood up and, you know, they opened this up. At the end, you could ask the, the speaker questions. And, and this guy stands up and he says, just tell us, uh, what kind of church should we all go to? Now, I don't know if this person meant it as a trap, but it definitely was a trap. So a little word of advice, if you ever find yourself in a situation like that, the best thing to do is to not talk. <laughs> because they'll just take anything you say and twist it. So here's Jesus. He is, you know, in this situation where they want to trap him. They want to see what's he going to do. I think sometimes we put a lot of focus on him writing on the ground and people try to understand what it is that he wrote. I think that we will never know and that's the point. Because it's what Jesus did next that really is significant. 
When they kept on questioning in verse 7, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And just like that, Jesus has turned the tables on them. Now, we as Christians love this part because we love winning the debates. We love it when Christians can outsmart a non-Christian. We love it when, when a Christian is kind of trapped and then he's turning the table on them. But I don't think Jesus' intention here was just to win this debate. Because as you see, he gets involved in this situation in a much deeper way than just like, ha ha, I gotcha. I don't think Jesus just simply wanted to win the debate. I think he was looking at something far greater. You may recall his words about if men to men, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. And he's beginning to speak on something that's far deeper than just this one thing. The law dealt with women much harsher than it did with men in regards to adultery. When a woman was caught, she was, you know, condemned. When a man was caught, often he, was, he would still be able to maintain his respectability in society. So Jesus' ruling came as a challenge to the conscience of man, of every man who heard him. He wasn't just saying, oh, what the law says. He's now challenging the conscience of the, man, of the men there. The embarrassment was no longer on him, but on them. His ruling about adultery amounts to a redressing of the unfavorable balance in favor of the underprivileged sex. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you are bringing here, her here and charging her with adultery just because she's a woman, I'm not going to make a statement to it. As a matter of fact, I want to challenge the moral authority of all of us. And so he's asking the question, if you are without moral sin, throw a stone. But you can't condemn this woman simply because she is a woman. What an amazing thing that Jesus did. And so what we see is that very quickly, the men that were there realized that there's no way they could still be Throw, you know, there's no way they could throw a stone. And so look at what happens in verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away at one, at one, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Here we see the compassion of Jesus on full display. And I don't want you to miss this. Had Jesus only been concerned about winning that sticky situation, he would have walked away and left her there. He wouldn't have addressed her. You have to ask the question, why would he even talk to her? What was in it? Because she hadn't come to him. He hadn't gone to her. The people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they brought this situation about. So why would Jesus even address her? So what you see here is the compassion of Jesus was far greater than just, oh, I'll win this debate, I'll keep you from getting stoned, and then that's it. So we're forced to wrestle with this question, why does he address her? Why does he talk to her? And I believe that this is where the greatest tension is in this story. I think very often we think that the tension is when Jesus is trapped with these people or when they try to trap Jesus and they ask him this carefully crafted question. We think that that's the climax. That's the tension of the moment. No. I think the tension is now. When Jesus is now, you know, kind of won the argument in a sense. But the tension for Jesus is now at this moment of saying, I'm actually going to now address 
interact, speak to this woman who has been caught in adultery. Look at her words. Verse 11, no, sir, no one, sir, Jesus, she, she said, then neither do I command, condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here's something really interesting for us to note, and I don't want us to miss this. The interesting thing here is that Jesus knew that the accusers were telling the truth. Think about that for a moment. This woman had been caught in adultery. This woman was guilty of the very thing that they said she was guilty of. She hadn't been wrongfully accused. We know this because Jesus says he will not condemn her, meaning he could have, but he chooses not to. He also tells her to leave her life of sin. He doesn't dismiss her sin. He doesn't compromise it. Compromise, he doesn't, you know, condone it. <clears throat> he says, stop doing what you're doing. Go leave your life of sin, but I choose not to condemn you. This month, we want to look at our lives when maybe we are challenged with this kind of a situation in some way. And if you're listening, I'm sure by now you're kind of feeling some tension. Well, what are you saying? Like, is, is, is Jesus okay with what she did? Of course not, because he tells her to stop doing what she's doing. But the tension in the moment is, am I going to, is Jesus going to now just dismiss her? Is he just going to leave her standing there with her reputation and tatters? Is he just going to walk away without even addressing her? Is he too good to even bother with her? But the compassion of Jesus draws him to a place where he will interact with her and care for her. So this month, we want to look at going through those challenges in our community, when we are maybe faced with a situation similar to this. At the forefront, I wanna say this, that unless we have compassion for people, unless we have compassion for people, we will never bother to serve them. If we do not have a compassion, we will never dare, we will not even bother to embrace the tension. We will walk away from messy situations because we are more concerned about our own image or we just simply don't care to get involved. And if Jesus had only been concerned about his own image, he would have just said, you know what, you're a problem. You're someone who I don't really know how to deal with, and so I'm just going to leave this. This creates conflict that I don't need. And yet the compassion of Jesus moved him to get involved. I think we've all heard missionary stories, and we love those stories of missionaries going overseas and doing mission work in these difficult places. And sometimes, you know, they'll go to places where, where the um, culture is so opposite of Christianity. <clears throat> and we pray for these missionaries and we, re we celebrate the stories when they come back of how places out in the world have turned to Jesus. But I wonder sometimes why we are not as passionate about that happening in Leamington. Sometimes we may pray for our missionaries and encourage and love hearing stories of missionaries who go into unreached people groups who live totally contrary to the law of God, who live totally contrary to the will of God. But at the same time, when we are in our community and we work with groups within our community who are completely contrary to the law of God, instead of praying for them and celebrating when there's change and, and praying for the message of Jesus to you know, reach the hearts of those people, we rather take a position where we oppose them. 
when we are bothered by them. And I want to cause us this morning to wrestle with that tension. I want to talk to us this morning about embracing the tension, being willing to show compassion for those who are in our midst who do not yet know Jesus. Here is a tension that all of us in this room have faced or will face at some point point in our lives. Do we express compassion towards someone we disagree with? Do we show compassion when we know that the agenda of the party is opposed to us? Do we show compassion when they do not believe what we believe and are hostile towards our belief? This is a question we have to wrestle with. Because if we want to see the message of Jesus proclaimed in our community, we will have to deal with this tension. If Jesus would not have cared about that woman, he would have walked away as soon as everyone else walked away. So how do I express the love of Jesus or shine the light of Jesus into these places that are, may, may at times feel hostile? So how do we show compassion to those we feel are threatening our beliefs as Christians. This tension will result in some different ways, and I wanna just quickly walk us through what I would consider some common reactions to this tension. Number one, one of the most common reactions is separation. We'll separate ourselves, we'll have nothing to do with them. Oh, if this and this is what's happening, we will just move or we will separate ourselves, we will just have nothing to do with them, and then whew, we don't have to deal with it. Or at least they're not going to influence us. And we separate ourselves. Another common way is with hostility. We'll show them. Man, they want, to, they want to take it out on us. We'll take it out on them. They oppose us. Oh, we'll oppose them. And we use that sometimes. I remember a number of years ago, I was at someone's house. And there was a group of us there, and there was one individual there, very animated, and, and he had no issue with sharing his thoughts on some of the stuff, and, and the topic of terrorism came up. And the way this guy was talking, I finally asked him, I said, I know that you're a Christian, so let me ask you this question. As a person who is a Christian, knowing that you will go to heaven if you die, would you be willing to lay your life down for a terrorist? And his answer is still very fresh in my mind. He first off, all that anger was now turned towards me and he accused me of all kinds of things. And then finally he said this, he says, I have no problem with sending every one of those bleeping terrorists to hell. And my heart didn't quite know what to do. But I'll tell you right now as your pastor, I'm willing to give my life for someone who does not know Jesus. Because I know when my life is gone, I know where I will spend eternity. And when I read my Bible, I cannot see myself ever condoning someone else spending eternity in the opposite place. So be careful that our hostility does not cause us to react in a way very different than what Jesus would do. Another way that is common is with compromise. We just give in. Okay, well, fine, I don't want to deal with it, so I'll just give in. If that's what they want to teach, fine, that's what they teach. If that's what they're going to do, then fine, whatever. And we just give in. Oh, we may not be happy about it, but when we're at a parent meeting, you know, parent-teacher meeting, we may just say, oh, well, you know how, it's all good, it's all good. We go to a community meeting, we're just all good, everything's, we just compromise. At home, we may be upset, but man, in those places where we actually have a place to say, you know what, I see this differently, 
We don't dare ourselves. And so we just compromise. Another way that is quite common is apathy. We just don't care. We just don't care. And we tell ourselves we don't care and we choose not to care and we just figure, you know, someone else will deal with this. Somebody else is going to say something and so I don't care. Now there may be some pros and cons to all of these, but I want to suggest to us that there is another way of embracing the tension. And this is what I want to challenge us with today, that we would embrace the tension with compassion. Compassion does not mean compromise. I have been accused of this so many times by Christians. Ike, you're compromising. Why else would you hang out with some of these people? Ike, you're compromising, or why else would you take a stronger position on some of these things? And you have not been in those meetings with me when those very groups that are opposing Christianity have sat with me and challenged me on my belief. Trust me, I am not compromising. I am not compromising my beliefs, but I will still exercise compassion. And when I get called to a community meeting where they want to know why are Mennonites this and why are Mennonites that and why do churches this and why are Christians this and shouldn't you just this and this, I have no issue with saying, no, here's what we believe. And this opposes our beliefs in Scripture. But I do not have to do it without compassion. And I want to challenge us today to embrace the tension of living in a secular society and that we would do it with compassion. Compassion does not mean compromise. Compassion does not mean giving in. Compassion cannot work if we're just hostile. Compassion does not work if we choose not to care. Jesus cared about this woman. That's why he interacted with her. Compassion brings us in close. Some of us who are so opposed to certain people have probably never interacted with one and loved them and seen how they hurt. Compassion gives us new eyes to see things that may not be otherwise seen. Compassion brings hope and healing. Compassion is willing to get messy. Jesus could have left this woman standing in that temple with no direction. He could have left her there with her reputation in shatters. So I want to challenge you and I to embrace the tension with compassion. Yes, expressing compassion will get messy, but here's what you need to remember. We serve a God who is okay with messiness. We serve a God who is okay with brokenness and who brings healing to every situation. As we serve, let's do it with compassion for others. It's what Jesus did for you and I. It was his love that brought him to this earth and spread his arms out and allowed the human beings he created to drive nails through his arms and feet. It was his compassion for you and for me that allowed those whips to land on his back. It was his compassion that allowed him to breathe his last because at any moment God could have come down and rescued him and he would not have been able to finish what he started and you and I would be lost in our sin. Jesus exercised compassion. And I'm here to remind you today that the love that Jesus has for you and I is still real. It doesn't fail. It still draws people 
it still changes hearts. Even the most hardened of hearts, it's still constant. His love doesn't fail us. In those tense moments, you're not alone. In those moments of hostility, in those moments of hopelessness, and you're wondering how are you going to protect your kids from this, the love of Jesus is still real for you. And you can exercise the compassion that at that moment he is showing you. The love of Jesus doesn't fail. If we have experienced this love and this compassion, I hear, I pray that you hear me today, that you would choose to exercise this compassion for this community. Because this church is making a difference and we can make an even greater difference if all of us would go into our community and embrace the tension we will face with the compassion that Jesus has shown us. That's where my heart's at. And I pray, I have been praying for you and I believe in you as a church that this is the compassion that you will exercise, that this is where your heart will be as you go from here. Let's pray.